Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Well, Mike, in this episode, we welcome back the CEO of the Recording Academy, the Grammys, Harvey Mason Jr. And man, we had an incredible and heavy conversation about the future of the music industry. Not only the future of the music industry, but it's really how we're going to perceive and embrace art in the age of AI. That's right. We get to talk about, and from an insider's perspective, of the policies that are being pushed forth in Washington, D.C. Because look, you can't change things in your neighborhood and expect that the whole nation is just going to go, yeah, let's just follow that through. The only way to make real change is what Harvey Mason knows. You got to go to Washington. You got to go to the government. You got to put in a law that protects our rights as creators of color. So in this conversation, we break down three bills that are going to decide the fate of music makers of color. So, Harvey, we're in a weird situation right now where a lot of creators' rights are being infringed upon by the big corporate machines. And so recently on April 26, the Recording Academy had the Grammys on the Hill event. It's such a nice show of camaraderie, all these musicians from all over the country coming together to advocate for better legislation for musicians. Grammys on the Hill is important because music is important. We have to make sure we're supporting and advocating for music people. Music does too much work. It's too, it's, it's magical what happens when people are listening to music. Grammys on the Hill is our annual um, push for advocacy for creators' rights in Washington, D.C. We all come down from the academy and fight really hard to make creators have more than they have right now and have everything they deserve. And the event highlighted legislative initiatives around some really key issues, fair compensation, creative rights, freedom of expression for artists. And you guys hit up three big bills, the HITS Act, the American Music Fairness Act, the RAP Act. And I know you're also reforming the live event ticketing marketplace. And if all of these are approved, these could be game-changing, especially heading into a very uncertain future. So, Harvey, how could these bills, if approved, if passed, how could they help brown and black artists? Well, first off, I'll start by saying thank you for having me, and thank you for paying some attention and shining a light on these issues and the rights of creative people, specifically brown and black people, are something that we've spent a long time overlooking and taking for granted. So I'm really excited to talk about some of these things with you. You started out by saying the big machine in corporate America has steamrolled the rights of black and brown creators. And I'll just maybe adjust that a little bit. Black and brown creators have generally not had many rights around creativity and weren't always able to 
monetize the work that we've done. And it hasn't been just black and brown people, it's been other people as well, especially, especially in the music space where we haven't really been able to come together to fight some of these challenges or these battles as a group. You know, right now we're experiencing a writer's strike in Los Angeles around film and TV writers. They are saying, you know, we're no longer going to allow our rights to be violated. And they're looking for new ways to get remunerated and, and compensated fairly. For us in the music space, there has been a history of, of us being taken advantage of. And I'll say that in a way that sounds most respectful. But our, our opposition or our beef is not with corporate America or with big business or new technologies or things like that, because these platforms and these new forms of music consumption are what's allowed us to be able to express ourselves. It's allowed us to be able to put our music out and create it and reach millions, billions of people with our art. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So I want to make sure we mention that this is not a fight against any one group or a platform or a streamer. This is at a deeper level, which means we have to value the creators and we have to value the work that the creative community does right now. You can work at Starbucks or a minimum wage job and make more money than the person who wrote the most streamed song of the year that's, last that's, year. That's, that's insane. That is insane. How have we gotten to this place, Harvey? Well, some of the evolution of technology and music consumption models have changed it because now streaming has evolved and there wasn't real strong legislation around streaming and how do writers and publishing companies and people who write music get compensated. And when these new platforms came into existence, there were different groups that were able to make money from it. And there are other groups that weren't. So that's the reason we're on capital. That's why we're lobbying and pushing for new legislation because there's really nothing protecting the songwriter or the creator around the new distribution of music. That's how we got here. Unfortunately, it's a long series of events that devalued the creative expression or people who are creating uh, incredible and magnificent and impactful works of art. Well, you said something there that I think is very specific, and you said devalued. And the thing is that it could be argued that the industry is literally built on artists and their creativity. There wouldn't be an industry if they didn't create it yet they are devalued. They're at the lowest level. They're, they get paid the least and they reap the least benefit. And to me, like you said, it's a deeper level. So it's sort of, that's the model. So it sounds to me like these legislations, these, these acts you're, you guys are trying to get made will change that for the future. How does the Academy see going forward? It should work. <laughs> well, that is something that would probably take up the entire podcast here to talk about. We, we want to rethink how all this is supposed to work. Oh, man, that's another conversation. But there's just got to be a more equitable and fair way to take care of the people that mm. the industry is built on. And that is, you know, the songwriters, the creators, the people that are starting from scratch and coming out of their bedrooms or basements or recording studios from their laptops, creating these incredible songs that we're listening to and we're enjoying and people are, are living their lives to and, and also that industries are building businesses on. So there needs to be legislation. There needs to be an adjustment on, on uh, how people perceive the inherent value of a song and songwriters. We got to a place where people were trading and sharing files 
back in the day. And I think that changed the perspective of people and how they looked at music as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a commodity versus as much as we say the song writers and black and brown people are, are being shortchanged because they're not being paid fairly. We also have mm-hmm. to say we're excited about the opportunities that we have and we're excited about the future. You talk about what does the future hold? It holds a marketplace with more consumers listening to more music than in the history of mankind. You're talking about a world where yeah. it's younger, it's it's more relevant, and it's listening to music, and music is driving and pushing culture. So for me as a creator, for me as someone who works at the Academy or who works in a recording studio making music, I'm excited about the future. There's a few things we got to get tweaked and cleaned up, and we've got to make this more fair and equitable. But to me, it's a golden era of music right now. So the key word that you just said is equitable. And I think that is the theme of the Academy. It is the theme of this conversation. And it is a theme really that's happening right now in the arts world (laughs) more than anything, especially with brown and black people. Wanted to go through some of these acts because I really love what these acts contain. Let's begin with the Hits Act. This one would allow artists to deduct studio recording costs of up to 150K from their taxes. That's game changing. What are the odds of something like that actually happening? How can a legislation like that actually start helping reduce the racial wealth gap as well? Well, first, I love your your energy and your optimism around this because when you read it back it does not sound very sexy at all it's not very exciting it's like right off your studio recordings i mean how snoozy is that but what it does do is it brings us in line with other industries like for example a film industry you can write off a production of a film or and so for musicians especially we're small business owners when you're an individual writer or a producer or an artist you're running a small business and $150,000 of deductible expense is game changing. As you said, for someone running a small business. Also, you have to know anything that addresses music community or music industry policy is affecting the black and brown community because we factually and statistically know and understand that 35% of all music created and consumed is black music of one genre or another. So when Mm. you talk about an industry-wide policy that allows us to deduct $150,000, it's affecting the black and brown community uh, at a high ratio. So these are things that can really make a difference for someone running a small business. I'm in the press, so I get to go to see concerts. I don't have to pay. But for the average person, it's gotten insane for a lot of reasons. How can, maybe you could break down a little, how the live event ticketing, what that reform of the live event ticketing in the marketplace would do, what you guys are proposing. Well, right now you're just seeing predatory practices. You're seeing lack of transparency around fees. You're seeing resellers and bots and other practices that are separating artists from the money they deserve and also prohibiting consumers or fans from seeing some of their favorite artists. I told a story recently about a person who was actually working on my kitchen, if you can believe it. He's a cabinet guy. He's installing cabinets. (laughs) And he saw me, recognized me. He said, oh, you're you're the music guy. I got to tell you, my daughter loves Taylor Swift. And, uh, you know, I was going to get her tickets for her birthday. And we got online and 
I started watching the ticket prices go up as I was waiting my turn to buy, and it went from two hundred and fifty dollars wow. up to twelve hundred dollars. And my daughter was sitting next to me, wow. excited, excited. She was going to get to go to Taylor Swift. And when the tickets got to a thousand dollars a piece, I started worrying. You know, I'm going to have to work a couple, like a full month, to be able to pay for these tickets. And yeah. my daughter started getting upset. She started crying. And so the cabinet guy told me, he said, you know, I, I ended up buying the tickets because I had to. My daughter's, you know, it's the love of my life. I got to take her to this show. But that sort of stuff shouldn't happen. I understand free market and I understand, you know, capitalist society and it's all good. But when an artist wants a price set on their tickets and it wants to be able to play for their fans and has dictated what the price is, there are certain things that should not happen. And there's certain things that should not prevent fans from being able to enjoy their favorite artists or dads to be able to take their daughters to see music. So there's a few things that we're working on around reform. Uh, we've been working with Congress. We've talked to different people. We've met with a lot of people when we were at Grammys on the Hill. I was actually different members of Congress, and we talked about this with them. And we said, we don't know the fix yet, but we're going to bring to you, Congress, people from the creative community, from mm. the ticketing side of the community, from the fan side. And we're going to talk about this. We just ask for your support and your help. And they all agreed that this is something that needs to be addressed. a little bit about the rap act because it's a lot but it's also extremely crucial especially for the hip-hop and rap community you were recently in september with governor from california gavin newsom where you guys signed the decriminalizing artistic expression act that unfortunately is not a federal law but it's a state law that helps the hip-hop community with lyrics. Tell us more about that and how crucial would it be for California or for, I guess, the United States to extend that on a federal level? Well, it did happen in California. I was very proud to have been with Governor, Gavin Newsom. Congratulations yeah, on that, I was that, really proud to, to be alongside as he signed that into state law, something we'd been working on about a year, a little over a year ago. Our members came to us, and this is what we do as an organization. We advocate and support our members. Our members came to us and said, this is unfair. This is something that needs to be addressed. And we activated our advocacy team, and we worked on this really closely uh, in California. We're also working in Louisiana and New York. In fact, Louisiana just passed the House with a 60% approval rating, and now it goes to the Senate. So wow. we're hopeful to get into Louisiana awesome. and New York. And then, as you said, on a federal level, jumping up and down on desks in D.C., making sure these people understand <laughs> this is not okay. It's not fair for prosecutors to use lyrics of people in studios or, or in sessions creating storytelling, telling things that they've seen or things that they've imagined and using those lyrics against them to prosecute them in courts of law is evident. It's not acceptable. It's a very slippery slope. It's a dangerous precedent, and it's happening across the country and courts all across America. Unfortunately, it's disproportionately affecting black and brown people because it's being done in rap and hip-hop trials. Hip-hop songs are being used as evidence. So we can't have this. It's the same as if you, you know, watch the Born Identity and Matt Damon shoots 15 people and all of a sudden something happens in real life. Like, oh, Matt Damon did it on screen. We're going to arrest him because he did it there. That's the same thing with rap lyrics. You cannot use a lyric as a point of evidence in a court of law. 
I hope it gets passed because that seems like a very key thing of well, for the it is, and it's a First Amendment right, and then you can't put filters on people and out of fear of prosecution. Think about an artist sitting in a studio trying to write a verse, and he's like, "Oh wait, I better not say that. Oh wait, I shouldn't say this. That's going to stifle oh, self-censoring themselves, right? Yeah, that, that, Dangerous. That, it, it's literally against freedom of speech. Now, the, yep. the last of those four legislative priorities is the American Music Fairness Act. And oh, this, don't get me started on this. Okay, because oh uh, I'm a radio guy. Okay, just so you Please. know, I come from radio. And, you know, I, it's, it's literally criminal what's going on. And it kind of leads me into the other part of what we want to talk, because I do want to talk a little bit about AI and how, you know, we need to plan for the future because we've already seen what's happened in the past and we already see how they're using the past against us. So can you explain a little bit about the American Music Fairness Act for our listeners? Well, right now it's a bill that's uh, across the House and the Senate. It's bipartisan and we have support from both sides of, of you know, bicameral, both House and Senate are supporting this, but it would establish basically a performance right for songs that are played on AM, FM radio, traditional terrestrial radio. Right now there is no performance royalty. So basically when you play a song, mm. say you play, uh, you know, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire song on the radio, Earth, Wind & Fire does not get any money for that performance. And just to give you context, we are one of three countries, three countries. This is why it's so frustrating. We're one of three countries that does not pay a royalty to artists when you play them on the radio. So any other country. Wow. I thought this was no, baked, not in. baked in. I thought this was baked Supposed in since be. since the beginning of the music industry. Nope. I thought that not for the artists. No, not, not for the artists. Be, because we literally, when we play music, there are periods when I'm on the radio where we have to do what they call a copyright confessor, where we have to write the song, what was played, when we played it, for somebody to make some money. Well, there's money being made by songwriters, which you know they should make money when it's played on the radio, but artists. Do not get paid a performance royalty. The only other countries mm. that don't pay artists is Iran and North Korea. Oh my God. <laughs> that almost sounds like a, it like sounds a like joke. a joke to me, if you ask me. It's we're in the company of those countries that don't pay artists a royalty when their music is played on the radio. Yeah, and I have to again say, my partners in the radio community, we love what they do. They've allowed us to expose our music and share our music with our fans up until the period of, of streaming. And now that's shifting a little bit. So it's not that we dislike radio stations or we're anti-radio. We understand the value of radio, but there's got to be a fair, again, the word of the day, equitable way of making sure the money gets mm. shared with the people that deserve it. You can't tell me an artist's music and performance and blood sweat tears energy that's gone into that record should not be paid for mm. when a radio station many of which are making millions some hundreds of millions of dollars when they're these larger conglomerates and you can't tell me that you can't afford to pay an artist like every other country around the world except for iran and north korea is doing the last point i'll say about this is because we don't pay a performance royalty to artists other countries around the world where our music is being played do not pay us a royalty because there's no reciprocity. So reciprocal mm. royalties are only paid for countries that pay royalties. So we're leaving three to $400 million of revenue off our shores every year wow. because we don't pay 
this performance royalty. We just paid it. We could go to all the other countries, go to England, go to France, go to Brazil, go to other countries and say, hey, we're now paying this royalty. You now have to pay us for the performances in your country. And it would create three to $400 million of income for our artists here in the U.S. One other thing that seems to be the talk of the town in every single category, this is the national conversation AI. I, and I think before I even ask you about AI, Alan Harvey. Too. He, is <laughs> he is national conversation. Big ups to AI. Big ups to AI, the legend. But Harvey, how does the Academy define AI created music versus traditional music? Is there something already in the in the laws and the policies of the academy and if that's so how can as ai can generate like full tracks like i'm, I'm sure you already heard the heart on my sleeve from drake and the weekend from uh-huh. ghostwriter but how will the yeah I, everybody seems to like it like it's gone kind of viral so you know they can make yeah. good tracks so how will the academy ensure that ai doesn't rip off the artists like we've seen and how you're fighting for and not have the tech companies like you were alluding to or, you know, these big corporations from then making money. And then it begs the question, can AI ever win record of the year? <laughs> well, these are great questions. And I laugh because <laughs> I've literally just been dealing with this in the last seven days. But you're right. AI is ubiquitous. It's everywhere right now. It's on everyone's lips. I go to lunch. I hear the table behind me talking about AI. Uh, everyone in the studio is talking about it. All my writer and artist friends are experimenting with it. As of last week, and maybe this is premature to talk about, but I'll say it anyways, we've been having the conversations at the Academy around how we are going to consider AI and how will we decide whether or not the work is eligible for consideration or even submission for the Grammy process. And what we've ended up with Mm. is right now, AI cannot win a Grammy because AI created works are not copyrightable. And that's a, a federal position from the copyright office who I met with actually just about three, four weeks ago. We spent a couple hours talking about AI and I, they came to my studio. I showed them how it worked and we talked a lot about, you know, what's the future of creativity and AI. So because AI cannot be copywritten, AI cannot be submitted uh, for a Grammy. But we have to acknowledge artificial intel- intelligence and music making is going to be happening. It's already happening. And we cannot try and be so uh, oblivious, I guess is the word, to think that AI is not going to play a role in music. Because it is. There's going to be tracks mm. created. There's going to be lyrics written. There's going to be artists that are recreated. So this, to me, again, goes back to the golden age of music because of the technology and the advancements and all the things that are happening, like AI, we're going to be able to do things we never thought of before. We're going to be able to create music and songs and sounds that we never created before. So I see it as a good thing. We just have to make sure we have some guardrails around it to make sure it's not at the detriment of people and individuals that are still making great music so figure out how to implement it into the system figure out what are the the processes for including it 
but also knowing that since right now the Copyright Office doesn't acknowledge it as a copyright, it's not going to be eligible for a Grammy. That said, if a track is written by AI and a singer writes and sings on top of it, I absolutely think the singer should be eligible, the lyricist should be eligible, but the AI that wrote the track would not be eligible. All right, I have to ask you then wow, if if the AI <laughs> if the AI wrote the track, fine. If the, but what if it's a completely AI generated piece? And then what happens? Is it just something? If it's no Grammy, no, no Grammy. Grammy. Well, gotcha. well, you know, the, it's interesting. It's interesting because you're also looking at what's happening racially with the cultural appropriation of white business people. Right. Individual artists that are creating black and brown AI rappers <laughs> that are yes. creating hits. Yes. And is there any concern from the academy about that type of business? Right. One where you don't have to pay the copyright happening owner. without the pay a copyright. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let me just usurp and culturally appropriate, you know, Bad Bunny and the reggaeton and regional Mexican regional music, which is blowing up hip-hop music and the best of all the black yes, culture what? and me the white person let me just kind of create these artists and make money and money and money there has to be some ethical questioning absolutely there is and i struggle as to whether or not it's a black and brown and white appropriation issue or just a general issue of people taking other people's name and likeness and style and vocal sound and profiting from it without any kind of clearance or license. So as far as we're concerned, we absolutely are worried about it and what the future will hold for artists and for creators, making sure that there's some kind of structure in place. And I don't have the answer today, but there's going to have to be something in place where an artist, their face is protected, right. their voice is protected, their name is protected. So somebody white, brown, or black can't take uh, a Drake vocal and make a track around, or they can't take a, you know, Bruce Springsteen vocal and make a, a record out of it. That's just unacceptable. Tell me a little bit about the human artistry campaign. What I love is that you are looking ahead. This is like you said, you just had a conversation this week because this is happening now. And if you guys aren't making decisions about it, I don't know who else should be. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah, it's going to plow right through. Exactly. Right. Well, we've also learned from the experience yeah. of streaming when as a music community, we were a little bit late to the party and the tech kind of groups got a little ahead of it. And mm. then when iTunes came out, we said, oh, yeah, we'll take 99 cents for an individual song. And then that really changed the economic dynamic around you know, album sales and single sales and what that meant to labels and to artists. So we've seen how technology comes and totally appends the industry or completely rethinks how music is going to be either made or consumed uh, or monetized for that matter. So as an Academy, I mean, I've been in my role as CEO for a little over two years, but I'm a music guy. I, I produce, I'm in the studio working with artists and writers every day. So I'm always thinking about how can we make sure we're protecting, not me, I've, I've done it for long enough, but the next generation of music people, the next people that are coming up that are going to be, you know, the next big artist or big songwriter, how do we make sure that we're looking out for the industry and make it a safe and fair and, and viable place to make a living? Because if it's not, all the cool people that make great music are going to go work somewhere else. They're going to go 
tech company or yeah. if worst comes to worst, they'll go get a minimum wage job because it pays better than writing hit songs. And that is what's sad. So this <sighs> this time right now with AI, we're trying to make sure we're looking ahead. We're trying to make sure we're protecting the human creativity. And we're always going to be on the side of creativity and, and creating music. But we don't know what's going to happen with AI. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, we're anti-AI. We got to stop AI. We got to block AI. Because that's not the position we're taking. We're taking the position of this is a creative tool that's going to allow us to do some really cool things, next level things. But it's got to be done in a way that's thoughtful. And we have to be judicious around how we allow AI to be involved in the creative process. RV, thank you so much for being on the show. Before you go, I wanted to ask you uh, quickly, Spotify in the last three weeks, the top global 50 have been three Mexican regional music mm -hmm. artists. Grupo Frontera, Peso Pluma, and Eslabon Armado. They're breaking records. Top five hot Billboard 100, top 10 hot Billboard 200 <laughs> albums. What do you think is going on? Because this was a this was a type of sonic aesthetic that wasn't accepted by the mainstream very much. Now all of a sudden you look at the globe charts and they're taking over. Have you ever seen anything like this? And just wondering your thoughts on the rise of regional Mexican music. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this, but I have to say it's I don't know if I've seen anything quite as exciting as this. The borderless nature of music, the ability for people to hear things that they hadn't heard before and make their own decisions on what they love and what moves them, what resonates with them. The idea of people being able to go anywhere virtually or in their mind with music is exciting to me. So when you see these regional Mexican artists blowing up, it's because people love it. It's because somebody hears and says, oh, that feels good to me. That moves me. I, I, I believe in that sound. And that's never been available to people like it is now. I, it's not even on the global charts. You look at the today's hits. Some of that music is sitting right at the top of today's hits. Yeah, you're right. And then you scroll down and you got Afrobeats right. with three or four records or five records. Then you've got K-pop with six or seven records. And then you've got this regional Mexican music with three or four records. It's a global marketplace for music. And it's a beautiful thing because when you start hearing music in other languages or you hear music coming from other cultures, you look at things differently. You start to experience yeah. people in the world that you interact with a little bit differently. You start to be a little more accepting, a little more loving, a little more understanding, empathetic to people based on music that you hear and that you love. So this is why it's an exciting time for me. That's why I love the work that we're doing at the Academy. Music has the power to move the world and it's happening now more than ever. Harvey, yes. thank you very much for being on the Brown and Black podcast. We appreciate your time and congratulations uh, and much uh, you know, encouragement for you guys for all the great work that you guys are doing, man. We really support you guys on our end. Hey, thank you for having me again. It's great to see you all and appreciate you shining a light on this work and, and the power of music. We love it. <laughs> And 
that's it for this episode of Brown and Black. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and now on YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.